Our scripture this morning is found in Hosea chapter 4. We will finish chapter 4 today. We're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. What is this? Just a bunch of suggestions. Are we free to do what we wish with this book? Are we free to look at it and say, you know, that that sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, not really convenient to me. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't agree with that one. Or, thou shalt not lie. We free to just throw that one away or bend it or warp it so badly that it's unrecognizable. God calls us to give heed to his word. This, listen to me, beloved, is the perfect and infallible word of God. It is without error. And it is our guide for life. That's not just part of the Baptist faith and message. It's not just part of our church covenant. It's not just part of our church constitution. It is truth. It is what the Word of God is. If this is not the Word of God, then there's no point in what we're doing here this morning. This is the Word of God, and God calls us to give heed to it. Hosea chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. And in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand. They will eat, but not have enough. They will play the harlot, but not increase, because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. Harlotry, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. My people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. They offer sacrifices on the tops of the mountains and burn incense on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is pleasant. Therefore your daughters play the harlot, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot, or your brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes. So the people without understanding are ruined. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, do not let Judah become guilty. Also do not go to Gilgal or go up to beth and take the oath as the Lord lives. Since Israel is stubborn like a stubborn heifer, can the Lord now pasture them like a lamb in a large field? Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their liquor gone. They play the harlot continually. Their rulers dearly love shame. The wind wraps them in its wings, and they will be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. And God, as you illumine the perfect and 
uh, or illumined Hosea when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word. God, we just ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well, that you would cause us to understand and apply this word to our own lives and ministries. Father God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. We offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We've seen in our study of chapter 4 that chapter 4 begins with a covenant lawsuit against God's people. God is bringing this covenant lawsuit against them. You know, we just sang, you plead my cause. Okay? You plead my cause. You know, that here's the deal, beloved. You know, we live in a world that almost everywhere you go, you are caught on camera. Okay? That there's hardly any place you can go that there's not a camera recording what you're doing. And so you go into court, and there is a video record of what you did or what you didn't do. And your lawyer is going to get up and he's going to plead your cause. And he's going to try to convince the jury that what they plainly saw, they did not see. That's not how it works with the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) See, he's going to stand there and say, yeah, he did it. You saw it, God. I saw it, God. But I went to the cross. I went to the cross for that one. And so you count that to my account. And so Jesus is going to plead our cause. Now, Hosea, in this chapter, is the prosecuting attorney. We've seen throughout chapter 4 that Hosea is bringing those charges, and we'll look at them a little bit more in depth in the second hour of our sermon. I'm kidding. I'm hoping we had a little bit of trouble with the hour hand on that clock this morning, and it just dropped down to 6, and so I was kind of hoping that we might lose three hours right there in the middle of the sermon, amen? All right. And I'd be able to look over there, ha, we got plenty of time. Because y'all can't see that clock. Sometimes we look at at texts like this and see, we understand that that the majority of this chapter is addressed to the priest. You know, last Sunday, I almost entitled the sermon, Like People, Like Priest. Now, how many of y'all understand that's exactly backwards? Okay. I'm not supposed to be mimicking your life. I'm not supposed to be mimicking the the lives of, of everything that's going on. I should be living the way that Paul says, listen, I want you to do what you see me doing. Instead of me going, well, that's another sermon. We'll let that one go. But sometimes we look at these texts and, and, and we understand, you know, at the beginning where it says, oh, priest, and we, oh, we just start skimming down until we see something that doesn't deal with the priest anymore. Because we think that doesn't apply to us. What did Peter say? That we're a priest 
unto God. Remember we studied that last week, 1 Peter 2, 3 through 9? For Peter says that we are a royal, that we are a chosen priesthood. The point that Hosea is making is, and, and what we see it there in, in those last verses, where God is speaking to Judah. And he says to them, don't do what you see your northern neighbors doing. Don't get into the same thing. See, it's very common in our day to encounter the same topics that Hosea is dealing with in his prophecy. Rejection of Scripture. You know, in my undergraduate work, we had a, a paper. It was theoretically getting us ready to go on to seminary, to, to, to get into academia, to be able to write a, a lengthy paper. And so we had to write. We had a three-semester class that was where you researched, wrote, presented, and defended a paper on a major theological topic to the religion and philosophy faculty. Good times right there. My paper was 28 pages long. It covered 12 verses. See, I come by it honest, beloved. All right? And so the day it was my time to present my paper to the religion and philosophy faculty, we went into this big room, and I'm up there with a copy of my paper, a Bible, and that's it. And all of these people, the religion and philosophy faculty at Carson Newman at that time were very much more moderate in their theology than evidently they are now. And so when I got up to begin, I said, gentlemen and lady, I approach my topic that I am saying this morning as an inerrantist. I believe the Bible to be absolutely true and without error. Well, that pulled the pin on the hand grenade. I spent the next hour and a half defending that statement to the religion and philosophy faculty at a university that receives 100% of its money from Tennessee Baptist Convention. It ought not be that way. I don't think it is now. I'm seeing some good things from the president over there. You know people are getting saved over at Carson Newman now? I mean, that's amazing. Anyway, we confront these same topics that Hosea is confronting. We have people that are saying, I know what the Bible says, but that's not what it means. I had a discussion several years ago with a family member about who was the proper candidate for ordination within a Southern Baptist church. This individual wanted to spend all of the time talking about what the word meant before we even looked at what it said. All right? 
And I kept trying to draw them back to let's begin with what it says. Because until we understand what it says, we have no hope of getting to what it means. Does that make sense? Thou shalt not kill. What does it say? Okay. It says thou shalt not kill. What does it mean? Well, unusually enough, it means thou shalt not kill. And then Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, took it one step further and said you will not have this burning anger against another person and called them thou fool. See, the only way to interpret Scripture is in light of other Scripture. Scripture interprets itself. Now, I'm not using a circular argument here. What I'm saying is that this is the Word and the mind of God. And God is going to explain what He wants explained to us. You know, the way we do things here is kind of unusual. There aren't a whole lot of churches that go through a book of the Bible verse by verse. A lot of churches, the you know, listen, how many of y'all ever sat in a church and the pastor read a verse or two and then he launched off into his sermon and you're going, did I miss something? Did I miss something? Because I'm not seeing what he's talking about in the verse that he read to start it. And you know, to me, we had to take homiletics classes in seminary. Homiletics is the fancy word for preaching. All right? And what I'd see some of my brothers do in the middle of their sermon is they close their Bible. They close their Bible in the middle of the sermon. Or they'd read their text and then they'd close their Bible. Wait a minute, brother, are you preaching to me out of a closed Bible? That'd be the first thing that I'd write on our critique. Don't close your Bible until you step out of the pulpit. Okay? Anyway, there's an awful lot of churches in our world today that just take thoughts from the Bible, that these are, are good life lessons, that Jesus was a great moral example. Well, He was, but that wasn't why He came. And He doesn't give you that option to see Him as a great moral example. Your only option with Jesus Christ is that He is a King of kings and the Lord of lords, or He's nothing in your life. And Hosea, listen to me. How many of y'all would be okay if your spouse came to you and said, listen, I love you and all of that, but I want to take another lover. Not going to divorce you. I love you, but I want to take another lover. Anybody here would be on board with that? That's what the people are doing to God. They're, saying, they're not saying, God, we want to abandon you. They're saying, listen to me, you're not enough. You're not enough. We want more. We want variety. We want something different. Your word is just too confining for us. 
And the reason for that is that the priests have failed to proclaim the entire counsel of the Word of God. And so God sends Hosea to say there must never be a time when we stop giving heed to God's Word. Verse 10. One aspect that that God promises, they will eat but not have enough. They will play the harlot but not increase. What we're talking about here is the sin of avarice. That's a fancy word for greed. One quote said, Greed is a bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. Another said, the avaricious man is like the barren, sandy ground of the desert which sucks in all the rain and dew with greediness but yields no fruitful herbs or plants for the benefits of others. First two verbs in this verse are imperfect. Okay? An imperfect action is one that's ongoing. It's not done. It's not over yet. And so they're saying that, that, you know, Hosea is saying that they're eating. They keep eating and eating and eating, but they don't have enough. They keep playing the harlot. They keep playing the harlot. It's ongoing right now. See, isn't that the way it works? Some of y'all may remember, if you study culture, a man by the name of Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce was a comedian that was famous back in the 50s and 60s. And his most notable contribution was that he got arrested for obscenity. Now, you would think that that would be in some conservative stronghold where he got arrested. No, he got arrested in New York City. And the United Kingdom wouldn't allow him to travel there because he was an undesirable alien. And he had this list of words that those of you that are my age remember a man by the name of George Carlin that had a routine, the seven words you can't say on television. And I've heard every single one of them on television. Every one of them. See, what happens is that once you begin down that road, once you begin getting avant-garde, Okay? Once you begin doing all of that, you can't stop. You know, how many of y'all remember this commercial from the 70s? You can't eat just one lace. Okay? You can't stop. Once you start eating it, you just can't stop. And so that's what these people are doing. Once they began pushing the envelope, they couldn't stop because it wasn't enough. Once they'd gone down to, to the Asherah and had the relations with the temple prostitute one day, that wasn't enough. There, there was always another prostitute to have relations with. And so they just couldn't stop. They were chasing the things of this world, imperfect verb, but they had stopped, perfect tense, giving heed to the Lord. 
He's behind them. They have stopped, completely stopped giving heed to the Lord. Now, do you see how that follows? Listen, beloved. I can't play the harlot if I'm giving heed to the Lord. Does that make sense? I cannot drive 35 and 70 at the same time. I know I've tried. No, I'm kidding. You can't do that. One of those is exclusive. It's mutually exclusive. You're doing one or the other. You are either playing the harlot or you're giving heed to the Lord. But you cannot do both. But they thought that they could. We used to believe that we needed to teach our children. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little heart, whom you trust. Oh, be careful, little mind, what you think. Why did we tell them that? Because the Father up above was looking down in love. But our culture believes that anything that constrains your desires, your wants, is evil and is not to be tolerated. Verses 11 through 14. (coughs) This is the main charge. You know, verse 12. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. They are continuing to engage in spiritual harlotry against God. Let me tell you something, beloved. If anyone or anything else in our lives has more importance in our lives than the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are engaged in spiritual adultery. Now, verse 12 is kind of poignant. My people consult their wooden idol. Now, I don't know what you call people that talk to furniture, where you come from, but where I come from, we call them crazy. Okay? If you're talking to a piece of furniture and expecting a response, man, you either got a good dealer Or that batch was particularly strong. Okay? You're starting to see polka-dotted elephants if you're talking to, to furniture. Because that spirit of harlotry has led them astray. Interesting words here, and then we'll move on. This word spirit, we've seen it before in Scripture. Genesis 1-2. It says that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Ruach, the Spirit of God, was moving over the surface of the waters. Back to verse 12, please. Because a Ruach of harlotry has led them astray. Do you understand? Listen, beloved, you either listen to the Holy Spirit and you live the life, you give heed to God's Word, or you listen to the unholy spirit of harlotry. And you do things your way. Verses 15 through 19. At this time, 
we know Judah and Israel had, had separated, and we won't go into all the history. How many of y'all sometimes feel like your life is an anti-example? Okay? That, that the entire purpose of your life is to look at others and say, don't do that. Don't do what I did. Okay? Don't, don't ever do that. And so God is saying the northern kingdom has become that. The cities of Gilgal and Beth-Avon were centers of idolatry. And the citizens of Judah weren't even to travel to those places. Weren't even to travel to those places. You know, when I was overseas uh, with the Marine Corps, in Japan, a pharmacy has a big green dot on the outside of it. And any building that has a big green dot on it is off limits to U.S. military personnel. You are not to go inside that building for any reason. Even if all you needed was to buy a Band-Aid, you can't go inside that building because they sell drugs in that drugstore over the counter that were illegal for a U.S. military person to possess. God is putting a big green dot on the northern kingdom. You're not even supposed to go up there. He said, don't go to Gilgal, big green dot. Don't go to Beth-Avon, big green dot. Don't even go into that place. Why? 1 Corinthians 15:33. do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. How many of y'all had nosy parents? Hmm. Meddling parents. They wanted to know who your friend was. And if they pulled up in the 70s in a hot rod, right? You know what I'm talking about? Rear end jacked up, cherry pack, her shifter, little thrush woodpecker decal in the back window. Or, or girls. How many of y'all, if, if you're... Date showed up on a motorcycle. You weren't going on a date that night, okay? You were not leaving the house on that thing, okay? See, our parents understood bad company corrupts good morals. That if you fall in with the wrong people, that sooner or later you're going to allow them to kind of smooth off your rough edges. And you're just going to fall in and do what they're doing. And then you see, we go back to what we just looked at, that it's never enough. That once I start down that path, I'm going to eat but not have enough. I'm going to play the harlot, and I'm not going to increase. I'm not going to have enough. Now, this is interesting. Gilgal, how many of y'all, that, that place sounds familiar to you. Who is active at Gilgal? Elijah and Elisha. That was their home base. That was where they trained other prophets. So you understand what I'm saying? Gilgal used to be a seminary. And now it's a cemetery. Don't even go there. Beth-Avon, interesting. Hosea's playing with the name. There is no city in uh, Beth-Avon. Okay? 
What he's talking about is Bethel. Bethel in Hebrew is the house of God. But it's no longer the house of God. Now it's Beth-Avon, the house of deceit. Don't even go there, is what God is saying. Don't even go there. Don't go inside the building. Don't go inside a service that you know that the truth of God is not going to be proclaimed. And then God lays out seven major sins. We won't uh, exposit every single one of them, but uh, He says, don't go to places of false worship. Don't go where you know. Listen, how many of y'all saw the thing going around this week where the preacher of some church, I think is in Missouri, got up and spent like two or three minutes berating his congregation because they had not bought him a designer watch that he'd asked them for a year ago. He even said, you can, go to, you can get those at Sam's Club, don't you know? Don't even go inside that building because you know what's being preached there. Don't you listen to those people that are telling you about the prosperity gospel. The people must not swear falsely or use God's name profanely. It seems there might be one of the big rules that deals with that one. The people must not be stubborn. Have you ever noticed how God always seems to get all over our foot? I'm not stubborn. I'm just right most of the time. You you can ask my wife. She'll agree. No, I'm kidding. Don't be stubborn. Hebrews 3 tells us this in Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day. Do you understand that's why we're here? Do you understand that that's why we're members of Concord Baptist Church? Loving God, loving each other, loving the world. Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, reckon what would happen if everybody in this room and everybody watching us this morning began using text messaging and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to start loving on everybody that's in this room. And saying, you know, I just see what God's doing in your life, and it's just so amazing. You go, girl, or you go, guy. I'm praying for you if there's something that I can do. Man, I just see God's hand all over you. What would happen? I think missiologists would call what happened revival. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we started doing that, encouraging one another day after day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. People have to flee idolatry. Sad verse. Ephraim, let him alone. Let him alone. God's saying, I'm done with him. Ephraim has become synonymous by this time with the northern kingdom because they were the largest tribe in that area. And so God is saying, I'm done with him. Let them alone. Man, that is the last thing I want to hear God say about my life. You remember Peter going through one of the roughest experiences in his life? Luke 22. 
Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. I don't know about you, but if I actually believe the Lord Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be, if Jesus said Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, I'd probably have to sit down because my knees would be knocking so much. But don't you love, there's my favorite word in all the Bible. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, oh, Jesus says, Peter, I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to fail physically. I know that you're going to do something that's going to break your heart. But what I'm praying for you, Peter, is that you learn something from it, that your faith not fail, and you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And you say, guys, here's what I went through, and here's where I failed. I want to teach you how not to do what I did. And the people must not love sin and its shameful ways. We talked about that uh, this last week, and this is a good place to end today, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's Paul telling us how to live the victorious life. Here's Paul telling us how to live the life that gives heed to God. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, See, you understand we're not even going to be able to do this in our own strength. By the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. (laughs) See, God don't deal with dead things. A living and a holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed By the renewing of your mind. See, beloved, that is heeding the Word of God. That is reading and heeding the Word of God. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, be careful, little eyes. Oh, be careful, little ears. Oh, be careful, little hands. Oh, be careful, little feet. Oh, be careful in everything that you do because when he returns, we don't want to be ashamed. We want to be assured because we have given heed to the word of God.